Thank you, Andra, Andrew, Kayla, and Alexa. <clears throat> Leading us in songs this, this afternoon. Almost got me with this morning. Caught myself, though. Um, so we're going to be continuing our study in Luke. So if you have your Bible and, or an app and you want to find your way to Luke chapter 6, we will be there shortly. Um, but uh, by way of a little introduction, I would like to know who under... Uh, under 18 can tell me what an ascetic is. Anybody ever heard of ascetic? Not acetic acid like vinegar, but an ascetic as in asceticism. Does anybody know what asceticism is or an ascetic vow or an ascetic lifestyle? Anybody under 18 know? Hmm? Not acidic, like ascetic, A-S-C-E-T-I-C. Anybody? <laughs> well, you're not under 18, I don't think. I'm not guessing your age here, but uh, <laughs> um, okay. Anybody over eighteen? Yes, Levi. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a a lifestyle or a period of time. Sometimes, sometimes they've made it a whole lifestyle. But yeah, it's a attitude that approaches says, I'm going to deny any physically worldly pleasures. Maybe even take on uh, physical suffering, and generally as an end to greater spiritual gains. Um, and uh, we're going to look today. There's a lot of people have pursued that sort of lifestyle. Anybody know any famous ascetics over the, age, over the years? Anybody ever heard of people who have taken these types of things? I did a little research on them. It's interesting. You look in there. St. Francis of Assisi was one of the first real popular people to uh, um, start this monastery and have a real, real um, you know, very limited, uh, you, know, you know, no frills, we would call it today, um, very austere, very ascetic lifestyle for his monks. Um, yes? Martin Luther was certainly involved in that, yeah. And um, many people, any of those monks, the, the monastic tradition, asceticism definitely played a part of that. Um, but there were some that really just took it up another notch, you know. And uh, I won't go into all the ones I read. It's an interesting read if you uh, are interested in history at all and what some of the steps people went to. There was one, um, I think the the you know, S tier, if you want to call it that. The, the number one was this lady. She was a Irish nun, um, St. Ide or Ede, or I'm not sure how she pronounced it. It's I with a little funky thing over the top, D-E. I won't go into all the details. I don't want anybody to be falling out on me. But she was to the point that she wanted constant suffering. So she would actually keep a little, this is, this is, this is what I read, she would keep a little insect pouch or something, they would, they would bite her constantly, and she would have with her, so they'd be constantly be biting her, so she'd be constantly be suffering from insect bites, constantly, and that was her means of asceticism. Uh, the story is that she denied herself food for so long that an angel brought her lunch, probably one of the other uh, um, nuns in the, uh, uh, <laughs> in the thing probably disguised themselves and said, here, the God wants you to have a meal, I don't know, but... Uh, she was the most extreme case I, I saw. There were a lot of other people who have done things. And uh, so we're going to look today, is, is this, that's one of the questions we're going to encounter today, is this biblical? Is this something that the Bible teaches? Is this something that we should be doing? Should we shut off the air condition? Turn up the heat maybe? And, uh, you know, just try to get suffering a little bit in here. I don't know. But that's one of the questions we're going to look at today. But we're going to find ourselves in a section called the Beatitudes. Many of us are familiar with the Beatitudes. But most of the time when people study the Beatitudes, they don't go to Luke. They most often go to Matthew. 
um, chapter 5, and there we see um, a lengthy sermon of three chapters uh, where Matthew records what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Um, today's passage um, covers similar teaching, but is much, much shorter. Um, again, still a way of introduction. There are people who say, well, is this the same sermon? It certainly starts off in a very similar vein, and some people have said that, oh, it has to be the same thing, and therefore the Bible's obviously wrong and not consistent because there's these errors between Matthew's account and Luke's account, to which I say hogwash, because if I asked the people on this side of the room and the people on this side of the room to give account of my last sermon two weeks ago, we would get widely different, you know. Some people would be flipping back their notes, oh yeah, this and this and this, and then you did this, and then you and somebody else would be saying... Um, it was in Luke, <laughs> you know, so that's just the nature of people's memories and things like that. So there's no reason for that. But my contention, and I, there's, I will say that uh, biblical scholars are divided on this. I believe this is a different sermon. Uh, I believe it's a different group of people in a different place. Um, and they say, well, why would he preach such a similar sermon? Well, they didn't have broadcast TV. They didn't have YouTube or Facebook. They couldn't go back and watch it. If you missed a live sermon, you just missed it. So it would not be unusual for Jesus to preach a similar message wherever he went because these are truths of the kingdom that were good today and good tomorrow, and they're still good for us even here today. So I don't think there's any reason to look at this as a contradiction or anything to shake our faith in the reliance of Scripture. Um, I do believe this is a different um, sermon, a different event than the Matthew sermon, but I'm not going to die on that hill. If somebody wants to say they're the same, I would feel free to. I would let them feel free to uh, um, look at that. But let's go ahead and dive into the text. So uh, Matthew, or Luke, Luke chapter six, um, starting at verse twenty. I ask you to stand and read with me. The words should be on the screen, and uh, we'll just read down through verse twenty-six. Fairly short passage today. <clears throat> And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we come to this time of studying your word, we ask that you would um, help us to understand, Lord. Um, give us your spirit to help us to um, hear and to obey and to grasp the truths that are here, Lord. Would uh, you speak through me and people not hear my words, but your words through me, Lord. And uh, may, through this time, may we all be more conformed to the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> there's an interesting passage because it's not, it seems familiar, but it's one we don't actually read. Again, the ideas are familiar because we're all familiar with the Matthew passage and the Beatitudes. But when we really start studying the Luke passage, I found there's quite a few differences, and I really had to be intentional 
two, not conflate the two in my own mind. Um, there are a lot of similarities, and I think, humanly speaking, we could just say, oh, well, when verse 20 says, blessed are you who are poor, Matthew as a qualifier. Who knows what the Matthew qualifier is? Somebody under 18. Who knows what the Matthew qualifier is? It says, blessed are the poor, and then there's two words tacked on the end of that. Anybody know? Blessed are the poor in, in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So it's easy, it was easy for me as I was studying this Luke passage. Blessed are you who are poor and just sort of to infer and to just transplant that over in spirit. But it's actually not what it says. It just says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Anybody know what the Matthew passage adds to that? Those are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So it's easy again to sort of, you know, it's very familiar to us. So we almost bring that with us. And I think certainly we want to in interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. But there's a reason, when we understand the divine nature of the inspiration of Scripture, there's a reason, I think, that those qualifiers aren't included here. So while we certainly can learn from the Matthew passage, I think as we study the Luke passage, we need to be kind of pumped the brakes a little bit and recognize that these words were recorded as they are for a reason. And let's study these words... When we study Matthew, we'll study the Matthew passage. And yeah, we'll, we'll draw some connections inevitably. But let's study these words and let's uh, try to push out what we already know and want to bring into it and just look at it in this way. And when I started doing that, it became a little bit of a challenge. And I hope you'll see what I mean as we go through. But <clears throat> we do remember, we just don't want to gloss over these things and say, oh, that's not hard to understand because it's all spiritualized. Because the fact is that very little here is spiritualized. So if we look at these things, we're going to kind of see contrast. Okay, the context here is contrast. Okay, we see blessings on those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are sad or weeping, okay, and those who are broadly rejected by society. You know, verse 22, when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil. So these are the categories of people of who are, have this term blessed attached to them. Now, what do we mean when we say blessed? Anybody? Happy? You might be happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Two of us are happy. Okay. Uh, are we poor, hungry? Uh, we're hungry. Is that what you are? Yeah. Okay, so two of us are happy. Um, that was what I taught. I was learned. I was taught as a child. You know, blessed means happy. Okay, great. You know, I feel like it goes a little deeper than that. I feel like it has more the idea of favored by God, that His favor is upon you. He 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 sees you. He recognizes you. He's got you. Okay, you're 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 with Him. Um, so happiness will be an outgrowth of that sometimes, but not always. Um, but it will, I think, so for me, it kind of is the idea of favored, you know, almost a divine favoring on it is how I think of blessed. Um, so <clears throat> we see these four categories, poor, hungry, sad, and rejected. And then we see woe, which I think is an expression of not threatening, not calling down condemnation, but almost of almost like an empathetic, that you're warning, you're concerned. Hey, whoa. Almost like you say a horse, W-O-A-H. Whoa there. But whoa as in, hey, this is concerning. This, this may 
cause you problems down the road. This is something you need to be aware of and you need to check yourself. Okay? So it's not a hateful, you know, calling down, you know, some sort of condemnation, but it's just a, hey, this is not going to be good for you. So woe is expressed on who? The rich, the full, or the satisfied, the happy, those who laugh, and we'll just say broadly those who are liked or well-liked or popular. And so it's exactly one-to-one contrasted. Blessed are the poor, woe on the rich. Blessed are the hungry, woe on the full. Blessed are those who weep, woe on those who are laughing. Blessed are those who are broadly rejected, woe on those who are well-liked. So it's a one-to-one. You don't see this in the Matthew passage. Again, this is a a little bit different teaching and this contrasting. So if you just take this passage like this, you can see where this idea of asceticism can be brought in. Because woe on you if you're rich. So get rid of all your stuff. Blessed are you if you're poor. So don't own anything. Don't have anything. Go out and, you know, be as destitute as possible. You can see where this connection can be made. You know, if you're full and satisfied, woe on you. But if you're hungry, blessed. Okay, you can see how people would would take this and understand it. And again, the tendency I think we have is to spiritualize it all. And just say, oh, well, it's just spiritual. We don't really need to be poor. We need to be poor in spirit. Well, we do need to be poor in spirit. Matthew teaches that. That's something to aspire to. But what does Luke, Luke doesn't say poor in spirit. See what the point I'm getting to? We have to wrestle with these as they're written, as they are given to us. So the, the, the tendency we have to jump to this, again, bringing in the Matthew passages to just spiritualize everything away, doesn't really consistently go. Because it breaks down pretty quickly, honestly, because we talk about poor in spirit. Okay, spiritualize. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Okay. Uh, weeping now. Okay, you're, you're sad about your sin. It's a spiritual weeping over your, you know, your unrighteousness before God. But it's not like you're really sad because something bad happened to you. You're just sad over your sin. It really breaks down this fourth one, though. Bless you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil. Kind of hard to spiritualize that away. Right? That, that's pr- getting pretty real at that point. So... If it doesn't work on the last one, I don't think we can apply it to the other three where it's not obvious. And then the woes are even harder. You know, woe on you if you're spiritually rich and receive the blessings of God? Of course not. No, this is a physical wealth. You know, woe on you if you are full now. You know, if you laugh now. These are physical things. You can't spiritualize the woes. No possible way. So I think it's a mistake to try to over-spiritualize. So then we have to come back and say, well... If it really is physical, then maybe asceticism is the way. Maybe we've all been wrong. Turn off the AC. Let's, let's suffer together, right? Like, let's, go out and, let's go out and sit in the sun and uh, have church out there for the rest of the time, right? No fans, okay? Leave your paper here. No fa- nothing. We're gonna, the, more, the more sweat, the better. That's right. Is that what it's saying? Is that what it's saying? No, I hope not, right? (laughs) I hope not. Let's dig a little deeper. (laughs) Now, that is our natural inclination. Oh, that's not what he means. Surely not. Surely not. I hope not. Can't be, can it? Can it? Surely not. That's our natural, but 
listen, if we're followers of Jesus, we have to take his word seriously and confront these things and, and understand and not just gloss over them and say, well, I don't understand it, but it can't mean that. We have a, a duty to be diligent students of these things. So let's dig in here and let's understand um, because if, if, that's what it's, if that's what it's teaching, then Lord willing, I'd be first in line. Kicking and screaming the whole way, but hopefully he would give me the grace to do that. So let's see what it is. So four things blessing on. Four things woes on. Are these things intrinsically good or intrinsically bad? You're kind of saying no. Can you prove that? I mean, you're laughing. You might be sinning. It says, woe to you who laugh now. Hey, hey. Rebecca's going to be the most guilty. She's going to be the woest one here, right? <laughs> I think so. But we have, to, we have to derive that from the text. We can't just, you know, our opinion. We have to look in here and dig deeply. So let, let, let's try to do that. There are some clues here. I want to help us. Um, because let's take laughter. That's a great example to start on. Okay? Woe to you who laugh now. Now, this has been preached at for why this should be seriousness in church, no cracking up, very dour, very serious, very solemn, no, no jokes to be cracked. Quit it over there. This is serious. Y'all sinning. Quit. Okay? There are, <laughs> right? So there, the, people would take this passage and say, there should be no laughter. You know? And the Christians should be very stoic. Okay? There's a time for stoicism. I'm not saying that's all wrong, but is that what this passage is teaching? Okay, if laughter is bad and to be woe pronounced upon it, a warning, hey, you better not go down that road of laughing. You never know where it's going to lead, right? What about verse 23? Okay, where we're instructed. Hey, blessed are you who are poor, blessed you who are hungry, blessed are you who are rejected and sad and weeping. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I don't know there's many times in my life when I've leapt for joy. But I think there's been a couple, you know. Uh, most of us aren't big leapers. Once we get past about the age of 12, right? We're not going to be leaping for joy. Um, but I think that if you're that overflowing with excitement, joy, you're probably going to be some laughter in there. I can't imagine that tone that's going to cause you to leap for joy, not also having smiles on your faces and laugh, laughter amongst yourselves and before the Lord. Agreed? So he's calling us to this attitude of joy, which laughter would almost be a necessity. So then are we to have woe upon us because we're doing what we're told? Obviously not. So I think here we get to begin to see some textual reasons why we can begin to parse this out a little bit and kind of go the direction you were saying. And let's, let's look at it in those lines because he's not going to call us to do something upon which he's going to pronounce woe, obviously. So now we have some... Scriptural basis for that. So let's look a little deeper. Let's try to understand a little bit more. Who is Jesus talking to? Don't look. Don't look. Who is Jesus talking to in this passage? His disciples. His disciples. Jim's paying attention. Verse 20, He, Jesus, lifted up His eyes on His disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. Okay? He's not looking across... Jerusalem and Judea and the coast of Tyre and Sidon and says, Hey, for all you people who are suffering in poverty, you are blessed. 
He's not saying that. He's talking to his disciples. Hey, if you're following me, and you find yourself in poverty, you're favored regardless. That's not a cursing upon you. That's not something that's being you know, laid upon you as a punishment. If you're one of my followers, keep following me. Don't get distracted. Don't go pursue riches. You may be in poverty right now. You may be poor as can be right now. But you are blessed. You may not have material things, but yours is the kingdom of God if you're my disciples. See, if he was just saying, all the people who are poor, you automatically have the kingdom of God. What, what gospel is that? None. That's no gospel at all. That's a, that's a religion of works. In which all you've got to do is give up all your stuff and here's what you will have the kingdom of God. That is not the message of Jesus. But to his disciples, he says, if you're poor, you're still blessed because yours is the kingdom of God. Shekinah? Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about the rich young ruler who came and said, and what was the question he asked Jesus? What must I do to get eternal life? I've done everything there is to do. What now do I have to do? He's like, all right. You, you, you want to earn your way? You want to earn it? Great. Give up everything and follow Jesus. Oh, well, I didn't really, I'm not going to sign up for that. It's not that he could have earned it, but Jesus said, listen, if you want to go the earning way, you have to be perfect in every area. It's a burden too heavy for anybody to bear. That's the wrong question. The question is, you come to Jesus, have mercy on me. You know, I, I, I can't be good enough. There's nothing I can do to, you know, overcome the debt of sin that I owe. Yet the gospel says that you paid that price for me. Therefore, I come to you with nothing in my hands. No works, no litany of deeds that I've performed. I come to you as a poor man, poor in spirit, you know, and that's how we come to him. Yeah, these are those who are following him, his disciples. Exactly right. So if you're following Jesus and you find yourself in poverty, be encouraged. This world is not your home. Okay? We have a hope of a blessed kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Verse 21, blessed are you, my disciples, who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. You're not always going to be at, in a situation of lack. You're not always going to be struggling. You're not always going to be hungry. Okay? There will come a time you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. You're going through hard times. You know, if you're mine, all things are working together to those who love, for the, for the good of those who love me. Okay? This is the promise. There's no purposeless suffering in your life. Whatever's causing you to weep now, I'm with you. And it's working our, my plan for your good and for my glory. But I'll see you through to the end. There will be days of laughter ahead for you. Verse 22, Bless you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil. I stopped reading there earlier. Nobody called me out on it. Okay? This is not just saying you're a disagreeable person. You're going to make everybody mad at you because I left out the, the end of the verse. Blessed are you when people treat you this way 
on account of the Son of Man. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, listen, if you're following me, and because of that, people hate you. People push you out and exclude you. They don't include you in their stuff. They revile you. They spurn your name as evil, and they're doing it because of your faith and your commitment to me. You're blessed. You're blessed. Okay. So this, the, the, the context is contrast, and the main point here for these verses is encouragement. You know, people who are in these states are prone to discouragement, prone to despair even. And so Jesus here is giving them a word of encouragement. Hey, don't lose heart. You're blessed. Okay? Don't lose heart. It won't be like this forever. Don't lose heart. Be encouraged. We have a future hope together. Okay? Because he knows that these are things... I mean, honestly, these are things that were real, more real back then than they are for us here today. Most of us don't really know what it's like to be hungry. I know Adam's like, I'm hungry all the time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like hunger where there's just no food. And you may not have eaten in three days, not because you're being an ascetic and taking on a, a vow of fasting or a hunger strike, but you're hungry because there's just no food. You know, the wheat hasn't come in, the, in, in yet. You can't make any flour, so you can't make any bread. you got no money. You're too far to go fishing, and your neighbors don't have anything. There's just no food. I mean, we are probably going to drive past more food on our way home than many of these people saw in their entire life. You count two grocery stores and six restaurants, and that's probably more food than these people saw in their entire lives. We don't, we don't really understand that. But these are the people who were in these conditions, and so Jesus was encouraging them. So it's a message of encouragement. And then it's also a message of caution. Okay? So for these, these woes that we look at, there is cause for us to pause and look at these things. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Is it saying you know, rich is, being rich is bad? No, he's not calling and saying, condemned are you, you're going to hell. But this word of woe, hey, this may not end well for you. And I think the, the, the connecting phrase here is found in the end of verse 22, that all these other things, if you're his disciples and if you're suffering these things on account of the Son of Man, then you're blessed. But if you are not following the Son of Man in pursuit of these other things then that's really the cause for woe. So if you are rich and you are not following the Son of Man, if you have chosen to pursue riches instead of pursuing Jesus, that's a dangerous place to be. And I would pronounce woe on that lifestyle and call you to pursue Jesus. You may have to forsake your riches. It may wind up in, in poverty. It may not. But that's not the decision to be made. Oh, am I going to be able to keep my wealth or am I going to be able to or am I going to get stuck in poverty? Wealth, poverty, which one am I going to choose? That's not the choice. The choice is am I going to follow Jesus, whatever else happens or not. And if you don't choose Jesus, then woe upon you and your choices. That's the, that's the message here, this word of caution. Woe to you who are full now. You should be hungry. There's not always, you know, wealth, riches... It's fleeting. 
There's no guarantees. So if you're resting in the fact that, oh, I'm so, I don't, I don't have any hunger. I got plenty of food. Get ready. Times might change. Don't rest in that. Yes, Shekinah. Absolutely, yeah. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, um, yeah, that's exactly the, the teaching here, is that if you're pursuing that at the expense of your soul and at the, you know, refusing to follow Jesus because you're pursuing those things, that's all you're going to get. And that's fleeting. And you're not going to have... Um, any of the uh, benefits from those who are following Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, the ultimate joy, you know, um, the uh, a great reward in heaven, you know, those types of things that we, he promises to them, um, he's not promising to you. In fact, he's pronouncing woe, saying, listen, these are not going to end well. It's going to end in a dead end. We're going to inflict physical suffering on ourselves. Exactly right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, woe to you who are full now, you should be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So, this was a little challenging for me. Uh, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Again, I think this, this is a bit of an attitude that seeks um, happiness above all now. And um, says, well, I, if I follow Jesus, then I'm going to, um, there's going to be some sad things that are going to happen. Whether that's um, relationships that you're, are lost, or whether that's you know, spilling over the next one, um, that you know, people you know, treat you differently. Uh, but at some point, yeah, it is a sobering reality to follow Jesus. Um, following him is not the path of least resistance. And so for those who just kind of go the happy-go-lucky, just go with the, the flow, so to speak, and the path of least resistance through your life, there's a woe pronounced here that says, listen, you need to check yourself. Because that's not going to end well for you. The call is to, to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, and not pursue this life of pleasure and laughter, happiness, temporary things, because ultimately if you pursue that, you, it will end up in mourning and weeping. And many times that's the case. I mean, you look at people who pursue self-destructive behaviors for short-term, um, you know, feel goods, feels, you know, which are like, oh, this makes me happy, this makes me feel good. Um, the end of that is oftentimes self-destructive ultimately. And uh, I don't think he's, you know, giving psychoanalysis here, but I think that's the, the reality that we see, that um, the Bible, it doesn't tell us these things to keep us from having fun. It doesn't tell us these things to keep us from laughing. It tells us these things because following Jesus is the best way for us to live. It's the, most thrive, it's the way for us to thrive best. It's the way for us to ultimately be the happiest and the most fulfilled. <clears throat> Verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Um, Jesus mentions this multiple times throughout his teaching that the world hated me. If you follow me, they're going to hate you too. Okay. So if everybody's loving you and everybody's you know, singing your praises, Woe to you on that, because that's not really what you should expect as a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be hated by everybody. You don't have to make everybody mad at you. You can you know, be loving, and, and people will respond to that message. But if everybody's saying good things about you, and nobody has anything bad to say, 
then the word of caution. You know, that's how people treat false prophets. You know, that's how people treat those who don't call sin, sin. Who love them anyway. And we can love people anyway, but we've got to <laughs> proclaim the truth of Scripture as it uh, relates to our culture. You know, um, as it relates to the lifestyles around us, as it relates to um, the, the, the world in which we live. Okay. Um, the Bible speaks to those things. And we can't just say, well, Jesus loves everybody, and that's all we're going to do, and that'd be the end of it. Okay? Even this message here would not be well received. You start preaching, even these verses here, you start proclaiming these to people, everybody's not going to like you. Right? And you want to be hateful about it. There's a right way to do it. But if we're standing on the truth of Scripture and proclaiming that to people, even if we're doing it out of love, there are going to be people who are not going to like that. There are going to be people who are not going to speak us. There will be people who will hate us. There will be people who will exclude us. There will be people who revile us and who call us evil. And I think it's only, we've only begun to see the, the beginnings of that from what it's going to be over the next, you know, barring uh, uh, outpouring of God's grace and mercy on our country. I think, you know, this thing of calling good evil is only getting started. Um, but Jesus told us this would happen. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Okay? We should be prepared for this. We should be ready for this and not shirk away from the responsibility that we have, the, the calling that has placed, been placed upon us. I, uh, as I was studying these things... Um, I, I, it occurred to me that Jesus kind of, this isn't the clearest message we could have ever seen. There's some ways it could be misconstrued, as I've talked about. People have taken these verses and misconstrued them. So why did Jesus say it this way? Did he misspeak? Did he forget to tack on certain things? Did Luke just not get a good account? No, these are inspired scripture. And this even, I think, as we begin to look more and more at Jesus' ministry in the following um, weeks and chapters coming up, we'll see there are times that Jesus veiled his truth and his message from those around. And it was only given to those who had ears to hear. So I think that there are some things that are a little bit vague. We're required to really dig in here to really understand, okay, to really see, are we just twisting the Scripture to say what we wanted to say? I hope I don't have to suffer all the time, right? That was our initial reaction, but I think we've walked through this text and seen that is uh, a valid um, understanding you know, of the text. It's not a twisting of the text. But why did Jesus do this? A lot of times we're going to begin to see Jesus would give his message, sometimes in parables. What's a parable? Someone under, under 18. What's a parable? Yeah, it's a, it's a story, okay? I learned it was a earthly story, something on the earth, physical that we understand, with a heavenly meaning. Okay? And why did Jesus teach in parables? Anybody? To connect with people? I used to think that. He taught with parables to conceal truths from those who didn't have ears to hear and hearts to understand. Okay? It wasn't to make it easier to understand, but it was to veil those truths. Now, for those who have ears to hear and, and hearts to understand, it is a connection for us, like, Alexa, like you said, Alexa, and we do understand it in a, in a better way. But for those who don't, who just hear a physical story, like, well, that's a silly story. 
Or, oh, that's a neat little proverb. Okay. And they missed the heavenly meaning. So Jesus would teach in that way to, in a sense, um, fence the truth um, at the time because well, he came to die. And if he came and preached and everybody got converted, then how would he die? You know, he had to be, he had to suffer and die on that cross. So this is all part of his plan. So when, it, when we come across a difficult passage like this, we don't just throw up our hands and move on. We, we, we study it. We dig in. And there are some things we may have to move on and say, you know, I don't fully understand everything that's here. I'll come back to this. Hopefully the Spirit will give me understanding. And we pray and ask God to help us to understand these things because these are spiritual truths. And they are only discerned through a spiritual mind and a spiritual understanding. And so that comes from the Holy Spirit. So let's don't ever just rest on our own powers of deduction and logic to reason through these passages. Let's make sure that even as I have tried to do that today, okay, um, let's always make sure that we approach these passages in a spirit of God, Holy Spirit, reveal these truths to me. Don't let my, you know, human tendencies and desires twist things, you know. Reveal this. Make this a light that shines upon me, not something that I force into the way I want it to be. So this is always the way it is. Now, I do think this is a surface-level teaching. When Jesus first begins to teach these things, again, we see deeper levels and deeper levels. I think we've done a good job of looking at the surface of these today, but, of course, in Matthew we saw a, a deeper, not just the poor, but those who are poor in spirit. And we don't have time to get into the Beatitudes of all that and what it means, the spiritualization of them. Those are beautiful things. And uh, I'd love to you know, spend more time talking about that, but we don't have time today. But I think that for me, the, the clearest understanding of this idea came from today's call to worship. So if you have your Bible and you want to flip over to 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read the, the full passage. I lifted out a, a couple of verses for sake of brevity earlier. But I think that this is where we see a very clear teaching on this. And I hope this will land a different way as we walk through this passage in Luke today. So 2 Corinthians 4 <clears throat> Starting at verse 7, the Bible says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are our bodies. We are the jars of clay. Okay? Um, we're just, you know, made of dirt. The dust we will return. We have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay? We're not the treasure. We have this treasure. Okay? We're not. Paul's like, I'm not it. Okay? But I have it. All right. So I have this to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 8 talks about how, what his life's like. We, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. and We're going to remember what Jesus did for us in his death on the cross. And we always should take that with us, but not in a somber, dour way that keeps us, oh, it's so sad, and it's, it, it was, that was the worst event in history. But it was the greatest event in history. You know, the resurrection followed it. Um, and so... The reason we carry that with us is not for sorrow or for sadness, but so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in our bodies. We remember his death so that we can remember his life. Verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul's saying, look, we're always under threat of death. People are always hating us. You know, we're, we're, it, could have, it could happen any day. But the reason we're enduring this is so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in you all. So death isn't working us. We feel like we're under a curse of death at any moment. But life is working in all of you as you hear the gospel. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So yeah, life's hard, all these things happen, but what are we here for? We're here to advance the kingdom. To spread the gospel. Um, and as we see the grace of God extend to more and more people, and we're going we're gonna, our joy, our thanksgiving is going to increase to the glory of God. And verse 16, you know, what is this blessed idea that comes from Luke? I think we see it wrapped up here. So we do not lose heart. Though all these things have happened to us, though we are um, afflicted and perplexed and persecuted, struck down, all these things, but we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know, this outside world constantly is beating us down, but our inner self is constantly being renewed day by day. And I love verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction. Now remember, Paul's about to go to prison. Roman prison. Be persecuted, executed. Okay? doesn't know what's going to happen. Now, we can read the story and know what happened, but he's got, it has to be expecting the worst. And what's his description of it? Light, momentary affliction. This light, momentary affliction, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's why we're blessed. Because whatever hardship we're facing here, it, it, it's pretty light. It's just going to last a moment. And it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. It's easy to get focused on the things that are seen because they're right in front of us all the time. But they're not the things that matter. So be encouraged today. Be warned today. Are we living our life for Jesus? Whatever's happened is our major driving force on account of the Son of Man, to use Luke's words. Is that our motivation for everything? If so, then whatever case we find ourselves in, good, bad, it's light, it's momentary, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So be encouraged. If, if you're today, find yourself, you know, I've kind of been, maybe I, don't, maybe I haven't always made those right decisions. Maybe I made some decisions for comfort, for wealth, for ease, for happiness, for popularity. And a word of caution to you today. The fact that you're here hearing this is a grace of God because he's offering you the chance to correct that course, to repent, 
He's not being content to let you go down that path. He loves you. He's, the, the message from, him, from his word today is repent, return. Okay? Well, I've been down this path for a while. It's only one step back. It's only one step back. He's calling you to that today. And if you're struggling today and find yourself in a, in a challenging position, then be encouraged. Because whatever you're going through is preparing you for an eternal glory that we can't even describe. Pray with me. Lord in heaven, we just thank you for the encouragement from your word today. We thank you for the truth that we have seen here, Lord, that, that truly everything in our life, Lord, if we're following you, it's of you, it's for you, it's for our good. Just help us to hold to these words, Lord, to not be discouraged, to be encouraged, to look to the future hope, Lord, even when things may be difficult. Lord, when we're confronted with choices to make, Lord, may we always choose to follow you. May we always choose the path of righteousness um, as you did, Lord. May we never um, take the wrong path. And if anyone's on that path today, Lord, would you bring them back to yourself today? Would you today have the day be of confession and repentance for that person? For someone here who's never put their faith in you, Lord, even today would that be the day they would do would today be the day they would do that. We thank you for this message from your word and this time we've had to study it. <clears throat> As we move into this time of response, Lord, just uh, may we approach it seriously. May we approach it, Lord, in a way that gives it the respect that it's due, Lord, the reverence that it's due, that it is a time ordained of you, Father. And may we take it seriously and may avail ourselves of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.